You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, as Adam McLeod was saying, uh, super thankful to be here with, with people this morning. Um, you know, as we were getting ready for this Sunday, we had started talking as elders a couple weeks ago about, hey, could we do donuts for this application Sunday just to try to get back to more of a normal application Sunday? And didn't realize that it was the anniversary of when we had had our last real scheduled application Sunday with food being intended to be a part of that and having to cancel. And so I remember being up here that Sunday and there just being so much uncertainty surrounding what, you know, what the next few weeks were going to look like. And I remember even us talking like, hey, this is probably just going to be like a two-week hiatus and then we'll be back together. And then it just kept, you know, it kept extending. Um, And so it was um, kind of surreal yesterday preparing for today and just thinking back where we've been over the past year and just thankful uh, to know that we were going to be here together today and that we were going to have food even be a part of it because Application Sunday serves a lot of different purposes. One um, is that we want to, to have some extended time of fellowship. You know, sometimes we get so busy in our schedule, we still prioritize church, but maybe we can get here when it starts and then we have to leave when it's, uh, you know, when we're finished enough and we don't have that maybe time to just kind of hang out and talk. And um, there's some people that we just miss, you know, after several weeks, we haven't been able to really connect with them. And so part of what we try to do on these application Sundays is to give that extended time of fellowship where you can prioritize talking to somebody that you don't normally get to talk to. And so um, I was thankful that we were able to do that this morning because I think it had uh, allowed people to to get here earlier than maybe they're used to getting here, to have that additional time to talk and to hang out. And um, now as we transition into looking at the, the last seven sermons that we've been in over the, the course of our study in Ephesians, I just want to hit some highlight points uh, of what we've been talking about. Again, the purpose of what we do from the teaching side of things on Application Sunday, beyond just the fellowship piece, is we want to be faithful to remind ourselves of what we're learning Uh, We don't want to get into the habit of just thinking we show up every Sunday to hear a new sermon uh, without there being a responsibility on our part to do something with what we're hearing. And so our application Sundays are something that we started pretty early on when we planted here. Um, And it was really born out of a desire that I had to to make sure that we're we're being doers and not just hearers of the word. Um, And so today is another opportunity for us to reflect back on what we've been learning and allow the Holy Spirit to remind us of some of those things, and to once again call us to do something with those things that he's been challenging us with. So, um, like I said, seven weeks ago, we got into um, the book of Ephesians, and we started that week by just kind of doing an intro with um, the first verse or two. Um, And so I want to turn our attention again to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we saw from those two verses that really this whole book of Ephesians is about God uh, willing for dead sinners to become faithful saints in Christ who impact their cities as a result of his grace and peace. Um, Starts with Paul, who identifies himself as an apostle of Christ by the will of God, and then he's writing to these saints in Ephesus. And then we, so we spent time that week talking about how uh, evil and worldly a city of Ephesus was, and how it's you know only a, a a nod to the testimony of God's grace and peace that you could find saints in Ephesus. That 
You shouldn't have found saints. You shouldn't have found faithful individuals towards God living in a city like Ephesus, and yet the power of the gospel is made evident that Paul is writing to a church that is remaining faithful. Um, I told you that we wanted to study this book next after doing the Sermon on the Mount because I want us to see that we are creatures who have been brought from death to life to live out those implications of the Sermon on the Mount. So all those things that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, ways that we're supposed to live, things that we're supposed to do, those are made possible because of what Ephesians teaches us, that we've moved from death to life by his grace and by his will and by his purposes. And that's certainly something that jumps out in verses 1 and 2. It's by the will of God that Paul was even made an apostle, um, that all of our salvation is by the will of God, um, and that God's will is to be set up, God's will for us is to be set apart to make an impact on our city. Um, you know, we're not saints in Ephesus, but we are saints in Sonoy. We are saints in Peachtree City. We are saints in Noonan and Griffin. Like, we've been set apart in these cities to live differently, to live differently in our neighborhoods, to live differently amongst our family, to live differently uh, in the jobs that we go to, the hobbies that we enjoy. We're to be different. We're to be set apart. We are to be saints. These aren't Christians that have reached an elite status that others are trying to attain to. If we're believers, we are considered saints according to God's word. Our application for that week focused on what I called unholy norms in your environments. Things that you think about, what's it, what's, what's the norm for people to act like in my neighborhood? What's the norm for people to act like at my job, in our family? What's the norm? And what are the things that shouldn't be there? Like, but they've become accepted. They become normal, but really they're unholy. They're not what are becoming of a Christian. And then we challenged you to, to think through, how can I be different in that way? How can I take those unholy norms and how can I push back against that and be different? How can I be a saint, a set-apart one in my environments to be different? So I would continue to have you thinking along those terms. What does it look like for you to be a saint in your current environment? What does it look like for you to be set apart and to be different? Paul writes to these Ephesians, calls them saints because of the impact that they're making. And we saw the impact certainly stands out in the elements of their faith and their love. In week two, uh, we moved into verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of of his will. This week we talked about the the deeper we journey into theology, the more worshipful we ought to become as we learn to rest more and more in the sovereign plans of our good father. This is that section where we really started to introduce challenging terms, the ideas of us being chosen, the ideas of us being predestined. What do we do with those words? Because they, they push back sometimes against our humanity and some of the ways that we think things should be. And I, and I told you that these words are chosen very carefully by Paul to really help us see that our salvation and God's love particularly towards us to save us predates all of our best accomplishments and all of our worst failures that are to come in the future, right? The ideas of us being chosen and predestined, what it really highlights to me is not a spiritual debate that should be had over a lunch table with seminary students. Instead, it's really meant to be an assuring 
um, theology to the doubting believer, right? That, that God's love predates our best accomplishments, that I haven't earned God's favor, I haven't earned his love, I haven't earned the right to be saved, nor do I put myself in jeopardy of losing my salvation because of some slip-up or some mistake or some failure, right? It's interesting, I think we were right around the, uh, the time of Peter's denial that we were looking at last year about this time, right? And that we talked even that application Sunday a year ago, we were doing it uh, right here where I was speaking into my computer trying to talk to you, all of you at home, but we talked about how, hey, our failures don't have to define us, right? That, that Peter had slip-ups, he had failures, but that's not what we ultimately think of when we think of Peter, right? Like Peter became one of the instrumental figures to start this plant, this church planting movement that took off in the book of Acts, right? And so God's love predates our best accomplishments, and it certainly uh, outlasts our worst failures. And we saw that, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to every Christian. So every Christian gets every blessing, no matter what age you are. Right? We've been blessed over this past several weeks to, to baptize uh, some young kids in our church, individuals that have put their faith and trust in Christ. And while we've got deacons and elders in this church that certainly enjoy every spiritual blessing, so do our little kids that have come to faith in Christ. Right? They're not going to graduate into more spiritual blessings as they get older. Right? They already have those spiritual blessings. Now, they're going to grow in their knowledge of those blessings that have been given to them, but they already possess those blessings. Every spiritual blessing has been given to every Christian, Paul says. And then we saw that God has a very calculated plan for each of us. These terms chosen and predestined really need to be understood in the context of what they are uh, talking about us being chosen to and what we are being predestined for, right? It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption, right? These words point to a specific end goal. He's chosen us to become holy. He's chosen us to become blameless. He's predestined us to become children, to be adopted children, to enjoy all the privileges and benefits that come with being a part of his family. And I love how earthly adoption just pictures what we enjoy from a spiritual standpoint. It's, this, it's, a, it's a picture of what we read about here. It's an analogy that we can see of the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. Um, I know a family who's getting ready to adopt four, four children, like four of them, all, all siblings, all together, adding to their two in their family, right? So they're going from a family of four uh, to a family of eight, virtually overnight, right? And these four uh, siblings haven't been together as siblings much in their life. They've been separated into other foster homes, and right now they've been brought together into one foster home with the anticipation of, hey, we're going we're gonna to be joining a family for good, like long-term. We're going to be preserved together as a family of four, getting to join another family of four, right? Um, and they're young. They're all under like the age of five, Right, And so they, they, they don't know any better than to just latch on to any love that's being given to them. Right, Family went to visit them down in Savannah in anticipation of getting them at the end of the month. And so they got to spend the weekend with them. And, and I was talking to the, um, the husband, the dad, and he said, we're, we're packing up. Like they got to stay in the hotel with us. So our family's you know, trying to become one. And he said, I'm packing all my stuff up. And he said, one of the boys comes up and like puts his hand on his shoulder and says, bye, dad. Right? Bye, Dad. Like the kid's already anticipating 
the new relationship that's coming and what that means. You know, his life's been a wreck leading up to this point, but now there's a different future ahead of him, right? Like he's been chosen for something totally different, and you can't help but believe that because this family is, is a strong, believing family, that he's going to be exposed to the gospel in ways that maybe he never would have been otherwise, right? And so even in the brokenness, God's chosen him some, for something, chosen him for something far more glorious than where his life was headed, right? And so as I read this passage, this passage means more just in thinking about like the earthly adoptions that I get to see and be a part of and, and to experience, um, to know that, that God loves us in the same way and he has changed our destiny, right? He's, he's, he's altered our destiny from where we were headed. He's, he's refocused us to a different destination, our application from this week was to, to keep fighting to rest in God's goodness, to see these plans and purposes that he has, to see that goodness is in store for us and how that allows us then to treat others the way that we wish to be treated. Remember, we had talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount, the golden rule. If I'll rest in God's goodness, I'm then freed up to treat people the way that I wish to be treated, even if they don't treat me that way, because I get that treatment from my father, right? And so I would encourage you to, to keep thinking in those terms, to process through each day you get up, you encounter people that deserve some type of treatment from you. And you get to choose what type of treatment you give to them. To give them the type of treatment that you wish was given to you because you believe in God's goodness being directed towards you. The next week we looked at what it means to be redeemed by the Son. How God is very intentionally designing and executing a plan that leads to the freedom of those who believe in Christ and the unification of his entire creation under the rule of Christ. It says in verse 6, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We talked this week about what it means to be set free from sin, but to also be set free from guilt, that we're no longer in bondage to either of those things. But to also see that we know exactly where history is headed, right? History is headed toward this climactic finish where Christ rules and reigns forever. That he unites all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now we see more of that authority later in this chapter, but Paul begins to introduce us to this thought process that we're to see everything in history moving towards this end goal, that he's been redeeming people, setting them free, bringing them together, uniting them for this great purpose of Christ in the fullness of time, uniting all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Both those that have preceded us in death, those that have passed away, that have gone before us, being reunited once again with their bodies to enjoy eternity with him, with those believers who are currently on earth when Christ returns. It's at this point that we were talking a lot about identity uh, and what it means to be identified in Christ and the identity that comes with that through these verses. And so I challenged you as an application for this week to, uh, to really meditate on finding your identity here. Uh, the fact that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that you have been redeemed, you have been set free, you have been placed on a course in history that leads to a totally different destiny than where you were headed previously. Uh, to enjoy that, to worship in that as you, as you find your identity in these things that Scripture says about you. We talked the following week about being sealed by the Spirit. 
particularly talking about what it looks like to have a secure salvation, right? As believers, we have been guaranteed a secure future, meaning that our faith will endure to the end, which should encourage us to prepare for the end by living for his glory now. It says in verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you get to this point in reading through chapter 1, you can't, you can't deny the fact that Paul continues to draw our attention to everything being done according to his purposes, his plans, and his will. Right? It just keeps coming up over and over and over again. It's like Paul just keeps cycling back to this idea that everything that's happening, whether it's uh, the individual salvation of believers or it's the unification of all of God's creation at the end of time, like everything is happening according to his plans and his purposes and his will. It's how God functions. It's how God directs his creation. For us as the believer, we read a passage like this and we find great hope because what we're being given here is a picture of the future, right? I love, um, I love time travel movies. I love time travel concepts. I love the, the concepts of being able to, to jump into the future and see how things happen in the future. Uh, you know, I love the Back to the Future movies, right? Because I, I love to see and to know what happens before it happens. Like, I want to be on the end. Like, I don't want to be surprised. I want to, I want to know things, right? I, I'm prone to, when I get to watching, like, epic-type movies, I'm prone to, to go find the books and to read the ends of the books. Not the entire book, but to just read the end of the book, because I don't want to be surprised in the movie theater. I want to know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. I want to know how this story ends so that I can then enjoy it as I watch it. Now, some people say, well, you've ruined the surprise. You've ruined the fun of it. No, for me, no, now, now it becomes fun because I know where we end up, and I like to see the process of getting there. I'm thankful that, that God seems to think like I do about that. He likes to tell us how the thing ends, right? And then we get to enjoy the process of getting there. But sometimes we lose sight of that. We forget that. We forget that we've been told the end. And sometimes we operate like we're unsure of how all of this closes out. Right? We get into these circumstances and experiences during the week that we didn't anticipate, we weren't planning for. And the enemy loves to, to redirect us into thinking that, okay, our, our, our future isn't certain. It's not guaranteed. And yet Paul continues to use, verse, or use words like purpose and plan and will, chosen and predestined and determined. Like these things will happen. And we're told here that what will happen is that we will obtain an inheritance, Right? We will make it to the end. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee that we make it to the end, that we do acquire possession of this great salvation that's being talked about. Our future is tied to the purposes of God, tied to the purposes of being in Christ. They're predetermined and they're guaranteed to happen. If we are ever saved, we are destined to remain saved until we are fully saved. We don't lose it. We've been granted a ticket of eternal security that's meant to motivate us to live right for his glory now. We talked about the difference between salvation being a ticket and a license, right? Salvation is not a license for us to live however we want to. It's a ticket that guarantees participation in something in the future and gives us all the motivation right now to prepare for that participation. The application for that week was to meditate on these truths of assurance 
to encourage you in times of doubt, and to motivate you towards right living. When people are doubting their salvation, right, a lot of times people tell you to go to 1 John because there's tests that you can take there. Do you, do you love Christ? Do you love God's word? Do you seek obedience? These are evidences and signs of, of being a true believer. This is another great passage to go to in the midst of doubt, to go and see that, man, God determined your salvation, the whole process, the whole plan, the whole carrying out of it. And so we can find great hope and assurance in these verses. We talked then um, in the following week about resounding faith and love, what it looks like to be known for these things. It says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. We said that Christians are to be known for their faith and love and are to celebrate the faith and love seen in others by giving praise to God regularly through prayer, to see the faith and love of others, to acknowledge it, to praise God for it, not just just highlight it with the individual, to acknowledge it to God, to praise him for it. Paul says, I, I know you by your faith and by your love. That's good doctrine and good application, right? That's, that's faith we've defined as trusting truth. So in order to, to really be known by, by your faith, you have to have correct truth, then you have to be known for trusting it, right? So it's good doctrine and good application of the doctrine. It's the outworking of an application Sunday, right? You've sat under truth for the past seven weeks, but to be known for your faith is to be known for trusting in the truth that we've seen from Ephesians chapter 1. To live it out, to be known for the trusting part of that truth. Paul says, I know you Ephesians, I know you saints in Ephesus, because you are known for your faith, your good doctrine and your good application of it, especially when trials hit, that we're known for trusting that truth. But also to be known for our love and service to others when needs arise to be known for giving of ourselves to love and to, be, um, uh, to, be, to have a lack of discrimination with it, right? To do this towards all the saints, not just the ones that, that we're prone to like or that uh, are similar to us, but he says you're known for your faith and your love towards all the saints. And Paul says, because you're known for this, I, I can't stop praying for you. I can't stop praying for you, um, and I can't stop praising God for you. Right? He says, I, I can't cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So I challenged you to, to not only as an individual to strive to be known for these things, right? To, to lessen the gap that it takes for you to trust in God when trials hit, to see needs and to give of yourself to meet those needs, to love others, right? You want to be known for these things. But then in addition to that, we want to see it in others and not be jealous of it not be critical of it, but to celebrate it, to highlight it, to affirm it directly to God for the work that he's doing in that individual's life. And that's so hard for us, right? Because we're so uh, competitive at times towards other people. We, we want to be known for faith and love. And sometimes we mistakenly think that to be known for faith and love myself means to minimize it in others so that I shine forth in a greater way, right? What we want to do, though, is to highlight what others are, are doing, to celebrate it, not for their glory, but for God's glory, right? And, and to do it through prayer, right? Because you could even twist that and, and uh, 
almost highlight yourself because you're highlighting others, right? And Paul says, I do this in my, my personal prayer life. I, I give of time during the day, not just, not just to bring my request, right? Not to just give God my needs for the day, but I pray directly praising God for you and the work that's being done in your life. So I challenge you application-wise this week, and we're gonna pause here for just a second. I challenge you to create new ways to ground yourself in God's word and then to celebrate faith and love that you see in others to push back against the jealousy, all right? I'd love to get some feedback from you just for the next minute or two. Any, anybody directly seek to apply that application from that week and, and you're continuing to do that, particularly in ways that you've sought to put yourself into God's word in different ways than you were previously doing, right? Like we talked about, we gather here on Sundays, we, we, we come under God's word. You may have a personal time where you're in the, in the word. We talked about how we want to just continually increase that as much as we can, as much as our schedules allow, because Paul goes on in his prayer to say, hey, I want you to know the hope. I want you to know the inheritance. Like I want you to know the power of God more and more, which means we need to be exposed to God's word more and more. We need to grow in our enlightenment with the hearts of our eyes or the eyes of our hearts. Anybody be able to personally testify like, hey, I've, I've been doing this. Like I've been putting myself in God's word or listening to something, reading something, and it's been challenging me and, and growing me in my faith directly in response to what we've been talking about in Ephesians. Anybody care to share from that? Good. So Anna, for those uh, that maybe couldn't hear in the other room or online, um, Anna's been working through reading through uh, the entire Bible and has made her way up through um, the book of Joshua. I'd shared with y'all, um, I guess back when, when we were doing the sermon, that I had made a renewed commitment to listening to the podcast that Snowbird puts out. It's, you know, most of them are anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes long. So typically I can get through maybe a, a full one, if not most of one, you know, on my drive to school. Um, but about this time, too, I made a commitment to start exercising more. And so I've been, I think, yesterday was day 13. So I've been walking two miles a day. Um, and during that time of walking, I've just been listening to both Snowbird's podcast and also Red Oak Church's sermon series on Daniel. Um, and I share that with you because here's what I've found that I'm, I'm really enjoying at this point in my life is that I spend so much time reading and studying a particular passage that we're going through as a church, right? And I, and I would challenge you to, to put in time and effort before Sunday or after Sunday, whichever side you want to do it on, but to not just allow your exposure to Ephesians chapter 1 to be what I share with you on a Sunday morning, to either pre-study it or post-study it so that it, it really takes root in your heart longevity-wise, because you've also put in some time and, and effort to, to work through this, this passage and not just what I've given to you. Because here's what I'm finding. As I do that, and then as I expose myself to somebody else's teaching, it, it can be on something totally different, right? Like we're, they're going through the book of Daniel, right? But what I find is that the Holy Spirit unites my heart to his word and allows me to see things that connect with what I'm learning in the book of Ephesians, right? Um, because I've already got my heart and mind in tuned with what he's teaching me in Ephesians. And God's word's consistent with itself, right? Because same author. And so as they're going through Daniel, like my heart is being encouraged and my mind is being strengthened because it's just reinforcing things that I'm seeing in the book of Ephesians. 
and the, these podcasts that I listen to where they're talking about just Christian life and the application of, of God's word to everyday life. I'm being encouraged because I'm, I'm finding ways to live out my faith of what I'm learning in Ephesians as they're talking through things, right? So I would encourage you to not see it as just a completely separate, different thing from what we're doing on a Sunday morning, but to see the unity of it, to, to, to learn what we're studying as a church on a Sunday morning, and then look for ways that that connects with some other place of scripture that you're reading, right? What other podcast or book that you're reading or listening to, how that ties in with what we're learning in the book of Ephesians. And then I've told you guys this before too, that um, when you obligate yourself to reteach and share what you're learning, it will take your personal retention and study habits to a totally different level. When you take on an obligation to share and to reteach, whether that's with a coworker, whether it's with one of your children, to, to reconvey what God is teaching you to somebody else, man, it just, it just allows that to anchor into your heart in a different way. It's very easy to come on a Sunday morning, hear God's word, and then forget God's word because you haven't really had to do anything with it. But to read it, to study it, to meditate upon it with the purpose of conveying it, to, to conveying that truth, that power to somebody else, man, it allows, it allows God to really entrench it in your heart in a way that stays there, right? It's not lost, but it stays there. It finds root there. So I would encourage you to think of ways to be in God's word regularly throughout the week, but even try to find ways to share what you're learning with others. It doesn't have to be in a formal teaching setting. It can just simply be you sending an email uh, to somebody, you know, regularly, a coworker, a friend just saying, hey, I wanted to share with you something I'm learning. I just want to get it out on paper. I want to work through what I'm thinking, and I want to share it with you as a means of encouragement. We talked the following week about divine illumination. What does it mean to be enlightened in our hearts? Because Paul talks about praying for this, for this group of believers, praying that this would happen in their life. It says, because of your faith, because of your love, I don't cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. We said that every Christian has an ongoing need to know God more and to see his power at work more. And we have the assurance that we can pray and have this knowledge and enlightenment given to us. Right? So Paul says, I, want, I'm, I continue to pray for this, not because it's not being answered, but because you just have this ongoing need. We all do. To know God more. To know the hope of our inheritance. To know that inheritance. To know the power of how to get there. This enlightened heart, we talked about needing to see all of life through the filtering lens of God's word. We need to ask for these enlightened hearts to better understand what it is we're called to. How are we to be separated? How are we to be different? How are we to be set apart? To uh, understand better what, uh, where that calling leads to. Where are we headed? Where does history culminate with this reign of Christ? And then to understand better the power that is given to us to reach it to the end. And so the application, I challenge you to pray and to ask for both of these things, for yourself and for others, to pray that God would open your mind and enlighten your heart more and more to his word, and then to pray that others in your life would have the same experience as well. And then last week, we looked at the immeasurable power of God, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the position where he reigns over everything, everywhere for all time is now directed towards us that believe giving us the ability to trust him and follow him 
until he returns. That power that raised Jesus, the power that exalted him and allows him to be enthroned and to rule and reign, it's now given to us as the church. He's working that power in us and through us to work out our salvation, to bring us to glorification. We talked about that power being given to us. It's intentional towards the church. It's an immeasurable power. We can't comprehend how much power there actually is, but we can see its verification. It was used to raise Jesus from the dead. And it's a current power that's being exhibited because he's ruling and reigning in the throne room, right? We talked about Christ not only being a risen Christ, but an enthroned Christ. He's not in the grave. He's ruling and reigning today. We talked about his power giving him authority over every authority for all time. It never stops, right? It never stops. His, his rule and his reign is forever. It says there in... Um, Halfway through verse 19, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus has power over every authority, every presence in our life, that feels like it rules and reigns over us. He has ultimate authority over it. And he's given that power towards the church so that we can reflect his power in the ways that we live out our faith. Application-wise, I told you to pray for the power to defeat any bad, sinful habits in your life, to recognize that you've been empowered with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to live differently. I also challenged you last week to pray to see God ruling over earthly authorities that you fear, right? And I told you to really think about the things that sometimes cause you anxiety and fear, whether it's uh, disease and pandemics, whether it's coronavirus or cancer, things that we feel have so much power over us sometimes, right? Because even doctors can't figure it out. Even nurses can't figure it out. We can't get it uh, eradicated. We can't bring healing to every single person. It's been crazy. Like this year, I feel like more and more um, we, we've had parents at Trinity that have passed away, not particularly from COVID-19, but from other things. We had one this morning that passed away that's been battling cancer probably for, I don't know, two or three years at least. And, and she was in, the daughter was in middle school and she's now in high school and, and her mom's gone, you know, today. And I, I just feel like that's happening more and more and more, right? This passage reminds us that God has authority over every disease. God has authority over every boss that's a challenge to work with. For our students, God has authority and power over every teacher that you think doesn't like you or is out to get you. He has every authority over that classmate or that, 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 that individual that walks the halls that, that bothers you every day, says mean things to you every day, right? They're submitted to God even though they don't realize it, right? His authority rules and reigns supreme over everything. And we can be encouraged by that power. We can trust in that power. As we look back over chapter one, I wanna give you real quick three things to remember and three things to do as we close. And here those things are. What should I remember? Number one, everything happening in history, including the individual salvations of God's people, is planned on purpose for the praise of his glory. And use that as a filter for the things that you encounter every day of your life, that everything's happening for his purposes, for the praise of his glory. Everything in history, big picture stuff, all the way down to individual salvations 
They all follow his plan, his purpose, and his will. Number two, every spiritual blessing is granted to us. Every necessary act of power is made available to us that believe to keep us to the end. We have every spiritual blessing that's already been granted to us, and we have every necessary act of power made available to us, which means if God doesn't show forth his power in a situation, it wasn't needed, right? It wasn't necessary. Every act of power necessary is made available to us that believe to keep us to the end. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Number three, words like chosen and predestined are meant to encourage you in seasons of doubt rather than confuse you. And be encouraged by this passage, this chapter. Don't run from this chapter because it's got words you don't understand. Man, run to this chapter to find the hope and encouragement you need. Challenge yourself to to dive into these words to better understand what they mean and how God works and moves in the midst of them. Things to remember, but things to do as we leave today. Be a faithful saint who keeps on praising him, especially when undesirable circumstances hit. Be that individual who looks for the unholy norms in your culture, your context, your environment. Be different. Particularly be different in that you're an individual who praises him, especially when undesirable circumstances hit. When people are prone to complain, people are prone to doubt, you be that light, you be that salt that reacts differently, that trusts in God in the midst of undesirable circumstances. Number two, keep seeking to understand your own salvation and the identity that comes with that new destiny more and more, right? Be uh, encouraged to learn and to grow more in your faith, no matter where you're at in your sanctification process. You have not achieved glorification yet. Therefore, keep learning and knowing the hope of his calling, the eternal riches and inheritance that are to come, and the power, the immeasurable power that's available to us. And then number three, look for ways to not only love others with your actions, but with your prayers and words of affirmation too, right? We want to love each other, certainly with our acts of service, but Paul particularly draws attention to the fact that we are to pray for each other and we're to affirm each other as we see faith and love being exhibited. Just a real quick recap of the identity truths we've seen in this chapter. Every Christian is a saint. This is true for every believer in here. Every Christian is a saint. Every Christian is faithful. Every Christian is in Christ. Every Christian is residing in an earthly location to make an impact. Every Christian has every spiritual blessing possible. Every Christian was loved before time began. Every Christian is destined for holiness. Every Christian enjoys God as an adopted father. Every Christian has been set free from sin. Every Christian has been forgiven. Every Christian has received God's grace. Every Christian knows God's will. Every Christian has a secured inheritance. Every Christian has been sealed by the Spirit. Every Christian has been saved for his praise and glory. Every Christian expresses faith in Christ. Every Christian demonstrates love towards others. Every Christian can know God more. Every Christian can see God's power at work. Every Christian has hope in their calling. Every Christian has a glorious inheritance coming. Every Christian has immeasurable power of God directed towards them. And every Christian has risen and exalted Christ, ruling all things for the good of them. These are the things that we've seen in chapter one. These are the things that we can take with us today and to continue to ponder and meditate upon. Next week, we're going to um, have our men on the men's retreat. A lot of guys will be gone, but several of us are going to be driving back uh, Sunday morning so that we can have our regularly scheduled service. So we'll be meeting next week, um, same time, same place at 1030. What I'd like to do next week is to 
basically show you some individuals in Scripture that I think exhibit what it looks like to have an enlightened heart, um, how they process and see their life through this type of heart. And so I want to show you some individuals that we've been studying uh, recently in, in our D group time, um, things that I've been learning on my own study outside of Ephesians. So next week we're going to look at some individual characters in Scripture and how they exhibit uh, this enlightened heart. So I'm excited to share with you that share that with you next week. We're going to close by partaking in the Lord's Supper this morning, which is something else that we do on Application Sunday. So thankful again that we can be doing this together. Um, a year ago, it was uh, sad to know that we were supposed to be partaking of the Lord's Supper together, and we couldn't even gather together. But together, we are today, and able to partake of the Lord's Supper once again. This is an act that we believe Christ has given to us as a means of regularly, publicly uh, confessing once again that we have said yes to Jesus. Right? Baptism is done once. Lord's Supper is done ongoing until Christ returns. Um, and what we're doing by partaking of the Lord's Supper is we are acknowledging that it's his work and not ours that saves us, that it's Christ's perfect life seen through that bread. It's Christ's sacrificial death seen through the juice, his blood shed for us that allows us to be saved. And Paul gives us those instructions for partaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? And so we do this on Application Sunday. Many churches do it quarterly. Many churches do it weekly. Uh, we've set it aside as a time because we never want it to become something that we just do as part of our service and don't stop to pause and think about it. We also don't want to do it so infrequently that if you miss a Sunday, you may go a long, lengthy period of time with not partaking. Right? We've, we've tried to settle on a time where we get to do it purposefully, and that's on these weeks where we're trying to intentionally say that we are wanting to follow the commands of Jesus through his word, right? And we're wanting to say yes to what we've been learning. We want to affirm what we've been learning. We want to live it out. Um, and, and so it takes us back to the source of that, takes us back to our salvation, that we can only say yes to the things of Christ because he has done a work in us and through us. And so we invite you to partake this morning, whether you're a member of our church or not, if you are a believer, you are invited to partake because while you may not be a full member here, you are a member of the, the, the global universal church that we all belong to. And so we invite you to partake as you are visiting with us this morning if you're a believer. Uh, we encourage you to ask family members who aren't believers to not partake, to use it as a teaching point for why they don't partake and what it would look like for them to start partaking as they confess faith and trust in Christ. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give you a time to, to pause, reflect, and pray. Tyson's going to play. Um, and then you're going to be invited to partake as, as you feel led. Um, if you haven't grabbed elements, uh, as Adam McLeod said, they are in the back outside on the table. You can grab those. But we invite you to partake uh, as an act of worship, realizing that we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We're also proclaiming his resurrection because he says we do this until he comes. And he can't come if he's not alive. And so we worship a risen Christ, an enthroned Christ, and we long for him to return to usher us into eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for allowing us to gather today. God, help us to never take that for granted. 
that it was taken from us a year ago out of concern and care for each other. But God, we are so thankful that we can be together today. We can gather in unity around the hope of a risen Jesus. God, we're thankful that we can do that in person today. We're thankful that we can partake of the Lord's Supper and see each other visibly taking it. God, I pray that we'd be encouraged that as we leave today and we seek to be set apart saints in our cities, that we're not doing this by ourselves, that we're doing this together as a team. We're doing this as members of your family. God, we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came and did all that was necessary to achieve righteousness for us. He did all that was necessary to absorb the wrath that we deserve. God, we confess today that it's Jesus who saves us. It's not even partaking of the Lord's Supper that saves us, God. It's Jesus that saved us. And God, we thank you for quickening our hearts and our minds to see that. God, we thank you that you have opened the the eyes of our heart to confess that. And God, we're asking and praying that as we submit ourselves to you, that you would empower us this week to live out the things that you've called us to do and to do so for the praise and the glory of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.